Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of SourcePlane Asia, co-host of the Main Channel Podcast, and the host of the SourcePlane Asia YouTube channel. Back with another one. This episode I actually recorded while I was in Zabala, sitting in my Airbnb. I think it was like eight o'clock in the morning on the on like the Friday, the day after that we got in, and you will hear some birds in the background because literally on the veranda, because we we had a veranda, it wasn't a patio. <laughs> But you know, literally on like the, the the patio, on the outskirts of the patio, they had like a whole bird cage. I think there's like a hundred birds there, so that's the main, you know, that's the soundtrack to to the podcast. Beyond that, I think our audio is fantastic, surprisingly, because I didn't have my my podcast mic. I was using my lapel mic. I was a little bit worried about that, but um, Nalan's audio was super clear. My audio was pretty clear, apart from the birds, and I'm sure we will be able to minimize that in post production. That being said, um, this week I interviewed Nalin Churpecharatsopon. Uh, she is an entrepreneur and the founder of Crush Crowdfunding. So I thought this episode was really relevant considering, you know, my audience, well, what a lot of the stuff that we do is around ODM manufacturing and a lot of the people that are launching original design products fund those products through crowdfunding. And obviously a big part of my life has been Enter China. And a lot of the people, a lot of my customers go through the EnterChina program. A lot of them do the crowdfunding thing. So he was just like an interesting person who's based in the States that pretty much teaches. I think with Nalan, the difference between EnterChina and Nalan is, is she works more with entrepreneurs once they have their product. Not necessarily have their product, but have the prototype. And then she takes you from that moment to, to launch uh, and, and helps you with with her course. And I'm pretty sure she's probably going to be less expensive than EnterChina. But and I also think with her, it's a it's a you know step-by-step course, whereas EnterChina, you kind of do it independently. So, you know, there's some differences there, but I'll let you guys decide when you listen to the podcast, which one, you know, which one is more interesting or, you know, what the differences are. But yeah, she was fantastic. We spoke for like an hour and a half. Uh, she's very knowledgeable. Uh, she's pretty much uh, it sounds like she's been she's good at what she does she's got a lot of client references um, I learned a lot I, I, I ask when I have these kind of podcasts where I'm talking to somebody that basically would be coaching my clients I ask the questions that I know my clients typically ask me because even like with my clients they think they think that because I, I have some knowledge of, of crowdfunding and stuff like that and I help them with the, the manufacturing side of things they always ask me about marketing which is not you know my my forte, and I'm always looking for different resources to to push potential clients to, and and to learn from myself. So you know maybe I can help out somebody even even one percent or whatever with with their campaign. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. When you meet people outside of work, outside of your work network in a social setting and they ask you the question, what do you do? How do you usually respond? I love that question because it's so interesting. 
how people like talk about themselves. Um, when I meet people, new people, people like outside my network, things like that, I like to tell people that I help entrepreneurs launch ideas to the market. That's like the quick five second blurb. I also like to tell people that I work with people who have cool ideas. <laughs> yeah. I like that question because the thing is, what I noticed about myself is um, being in China for such a long time and just being around people that were familiar with the sourcing and manufacturing industry. If I said that I, I work, if I said that I, I work in a sourcing or my company is a sourcing company, or if I said we, uh, I own a trading company, most people immediately knew what that was, right? It was so common. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even talking about like people that worked in my industry. I'm just saying like the average person in China who has any knowledge about business would understand immediately what a trading company is. Whereas when I, when I would go to like to Canada or, you know, my, my family's originally from Zambia or just other parts of Southeast Asia, if I said that <laughs> I would get quizzical looks, like what does that mean? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I had to I had to come up with a different explanation, which is now I I say I run an import export business in, <laughs> in that China, or I say if you want to make coal shed with factories in China, I'm I'm the plug. That's what. I'm yeah, saying. that's that's really <laughs> interesting. Like the the way you're positioning yourself is like super interesting too. Because like initially, like five years ago, when I started getting into crowdfunding, if I told people that I was working in crowdfunding, yeah. a lot of people would be like what is it? What do you do? What does this mean? But I've mm. noticed that, you know, even now in 2020, there's been a lot more reception of crowdfunding and just more kind of general knowledge and exception of like what crowdfunding is, the rewards-based crowdfunding, uh, I guess, market, at least for Kickstarter and Indiegogo, people kind of understand. A lot more people actually understand what that is now. Maybe give for my listeners just a, like a, a background on who you are, like how, you know, where you grew up, um, what that life was like, and that led you to what you're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. So I actually grew up in Thailand, so not too far from the Philippines where you're at right now, Rico. Yes. Um, yeah, I grew up in Bangkok, you know, hustle bustle Bangkok. Went to an inter international school there and loved my time in Bangkok um, and just always loved entrepreneurship. My dad was an entrepreneur when I was growing up. He was always starting new businesses. He was always like looking at different opportunities and like trying to figure out like, hey, what can we do that's, you know, better? What can we do that's more cutting edge? And he would always take me under his wing and just take me to different projects or take me to different business meetings, even when I was, I was a kid in Thailand. And so that kind of inspired kind of the entrepreneurial gene in me, I would say because he always led me to think about things in a different way and had me look at the economy and like people and relationships in a very, you know, entrepreneurial way. And so that kind of always stuck with me. Went to the States uh, in Virginia and also in California for undergrad and grad school and coming out of it, I was like, okay, kind of people kind of sold me on like the nine to five. Let's, I'm going to be honest. Like they kind of sold me on the nine to five originally. They were like, Hey, you know, go so, work at a so company. You, yeah. You grew up around entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and, and that was a very natural thing. And then because of going to school and kind of being put into that system, you know, you start to think, Oh, maybe I should jump into the nine to five thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was kind of a tension I would say, because as a young person, I was always like, wow, starting my own business, building my own business, that, that is cool, right? Like you are literally faced with an obstacle or like a problem every single day. And you just 
figure it out. Like your life is just spent figuring it out as an entrepreneur and how to grow, how to make partnerships, how to find leads, how to make sales. And you're just figuring it out. I, I love that kind of lifestyle. And then through, you know, kind of the educational system of the United States, <laughs> I was kind of molded into believing that the nine to five was the way to go. And honestly, I kind of started off that way. I went off, I started working at an agency I started working in like a startup in a in the San Francisco Bay Area where, you know, Silicon Valley is very, you know, cutting edge, making cool new products. And then I found myself thinking, like, is this what I want to do in life? You know, do I want to be working for someone or do I want to be working for myself and figuring out these problems for myself and kind of solving cool issues and kind of meeting new people on my own terms and that's kind of what led me to entrepreneurship like like actually led me to entrepreneurship i remember working at a at a the tech startup in the, the san francisco bay area and looking up and being like wow i am literally creating a sell sheet for this company that wants to that that you know wants to sell to best buy right is this what I want to be doing? Do I want to be pushing like thousands of units of this product to Best Buy and like spend the next years of my life like working on this? Like, is this what I want to do? And then I thought back to when I was happiest and I thought back to when I was enjoying my time the most. And it was just like when I got to figure stuff out and that, that kind of naturally led me to entrepreneurship because I was like, when, when do I get to figure stuff out? And I thought back to when I was younger and it was like when my dad was just showing me all these cool things he's doing. He like started a, a grilled chicken shop in Thailand. Um, he started like a, like a milk dessert place in Thailand and like all these cool different things that he was doing. He started his own real estate business, and like all these cool things. And that kind of pushed me towards, hey, I love this entrepreneurship thing. I love talking to people. I love building relationships. I love talking to everyone I can meet in a room, you know? And so it all kind of came together in, in terms of entrepreneurship. Nice. So this, this uh, startup, would it be the, the Rain Factory? Rain Factory? Yeah, the, um, one of the first agency I was at was it's called Rain, Rain Factory. And the startup I was at is called Nanda. It's actually a cross-border startup. They have offices in Shanghai, too, and uh, Mountain View and Silicon Valley. What were the first steps you took when you started to have that realization? I, I think that's always an interesting story because, like for, for example, with me, it's like I was teaching English in China when I, I knew that I wanted to start a company and I just I kind of procrastinated, but... When I first started to make those those steps, I was simultaneously uh, studying Mandarin while teaching English part time, and then trying to start a company. So, I like to hear about the transition. Yeah, the transition is always interesting to talk about because when you think back, you're like, "What was I doing then?" <laughs> I just, I like you. I remember wanting to do it, right? I remember wanting to start a company, and I was like, "What do I do? How do I get started?" And so I just went for it. <laughs> um, what I did was pretty much like I failed a lot of times. <laughs> I did things like tried to make my dog an Instagram influencer. You know, I did things like tried to learn how to drop ship things. I tried to learn things like um, how to do things like print on demand. And so I like really just like looked at different models of what was going on, what people were doing that 
was successful for them and kind of just was learning kind of like working backwards reverse engineering what they were doing and like did it like it was fun you know like I have like hundreds of follows are my dog and like people were asking me to do like brand partnerships um I was doing things mm-hmm. like I was actually selling stuff print on demand right well, it was like t-shirts yeah. actually I was doing t-shirt print on demand stuff I was actually <clears throat> um drop it drop shipping stuff from China and making sales for that but I was like is this what I actually like to do though is this what I want to do and then I just like kept, honestly I just kept going just kept trying different things until I found something that was right for me um so I think the the question of like getting started for me at least it was just knowing that I wanted to do it and just running with it running with the idea no matter where I could go just to find where I fit in the world of entrepreneurship nice so what what was like the like a I guess like a first practical step you took into the crowdfunding space yeah, that's good. That's a good question. So with crowdfunding, I actually have, you know, previous experience with crowdfunding too. I, I mentioned that I worked at like an agency before. And so I have that experience understanding the world of crowdfunding is um, the agency I was working at at the time was one of the biggest agencies in crowdfunding. They're running campaigns on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And so I went in as like an advertising manager to understand just like the ad side of it, the, the ad buys, the cost for leads, cost for acquisitions, clicks and, and cost per clicks and things like that and understand the ad landscape. And I moved to like a campaign manager position where I did everything from like project manage the campaign from the beginning to, to when like, a sales call was done, right? And then the client like needs to fig- like, needs to like talk to the team now to actually launch the project. So I started from there and like led them all the way through th- to the end of the campaign. And it was just like a lot of years of doing that that kind of got me into the idea that like, hey, crowdfunding is really cool. I actually get to I, I love marketing anyway. I have a degree in marketing, and crowdfunding is just like the part of marketing that I absolutely love because it's like that beginning part of marketing where you're trying to figure out like, Hey, that this, there's this cool idea, but like, how do we even position it? How do we price it? How do we, what do we call it? What do we call these features? What do we, what what colors do we use? Right. It's that product market fit. And that's exactly what crowdfunding is. It's like figuring out the product and how it fits with the market and just making sure that your audience or a audience loves your product as much as you, the entrepreneur, loves it. And so I have that background in crowdfunding. And one day someone reached out on LinkedIn actually as I, as I was doing all these like different trials of, of like, you know, drop shipping and like print on demanding, like all this stuff that I was doing. Someone reached out on LinkedIn and was like, hey, you know, I see you have this like background in crowdfunding. Like, would, would it be okay if we got on a call? I wanna just like pick your brain and just understand more about crowdfunding because I wanna crowdfund my project, right? And so I was like, yeah, sure. Like, why not? Let's talk. And I love talking about marketing and entrepreneurship and just like launching products in general. Let's do it. And so we got on a call and it was supposed to be 30 minutes, but it ended up being two hours. I just talked for two hours about crowdfunding and like the strategies you have to go through to kind of get your project launched, like what tactics you have to use and like what kind of channels you have to use, things like that. At the end of the call, I was like, this is it. Like, I was so fired up. I was just pacing around the living room talking about crowdfunding to this person for two hours. And it was our first call. And I was like, this is it. Like this fires me up. (laughs) And that's kind of what led me to just like think about what I can do as an entrepreneur in crowdfunding. 
Nice. I also think it's like um, with crowdfunding, it's also a very idealistic and sort of um, sexy business because it's like instead of having to go to investors and, you know, pitch an idea and the investors might not necessarily be the users of that product or, or service or whatever, and you have to convince them and educate them, whereas you can go find, with crowdfunding, it's like you're going directly to the source and you find your mm -hmm. tribe of people that are, really love that product or service and, and are they're paying into it because they believe in it and they want to use that product. Like, so I think that's a big part of the reason why people love going down that route. Um, yeah, and I think it's a big, it's a strategy for a bigger play too. A lot of people think that crowdfunding is kind of like a means to an end. And I, I like to say that it's like, hey, it's one way for you to launch a product you know, whatever yeah. product it is you're thinking about. And then from there, you can build your business. You can go and say, hey, I have, you know, these thousand users or these 2,000 users that have told me they're like this, this loyal to my brand, my like net promoter score is this much, right? And then you can use that to like pitch and it's actually going to make it easier for you to like raise money because you have mm. data, you have information to present to investors too. So I think it's a, it's a lot, it's, Sure, it's a launch platform, but I think it can play a part into a longer term strategy for growth. I have a lot of questions actually around that just because, uh, you know, my business partner, he had his first like crowdfunding campaign back in like, I feel like 2012 or 2013. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's quite different now versus then. So I kind of want to pick your brain on, on how you've seen a change. But before we jump into that, like, so the company specifically is Crush Crowdfunding right? Mm -hmm. What were some of your earliest struggles when you, when you founded Crush Crowdfunding? My earliest struggles? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think as an entrepreneur, like everything, <laughs> like I, it was pretty much like, what do I do first? What do I do that makes the biggest impact? And like, where am I going with this? Like, what is the con concept? What is the idea? How do I quickly monetize it? Right? Because as an entrepreneur, you're like out here, trying to make sure that what you're doing is one generating leads and two closing leads in a way that keeps your company and your business afloat as sustainable and also can grow. Right. And so when I was early on in the, in early on in the business, like early on in like this crush crowdfunding, like ecosystem that I have now, it was tough to like figure out what to prioritize first. Like, is it, do I continue just like blogging aggressively all the time so that I, you know, get ranked by Google and continue to get that consistent traffic? Do I start and go out and start doing like LinkedIn, like a LinkedIn strategy to like connect with people and get the word out there? Do I start a podcast? Like what is it that I have to do? So I think as a new entrepreneur starting out, that was probably the most difficult thing I had to deal with for this company. Nice. How did you, how did you figure out what to focus on? Yeah. Um, I read, I, so I'm a, an avid reader. I read all the time. <laughs> I read everything that comes across my path. And so I just read a lot of books. I read a lot of blogs. Um, I follow a lot of entre entrepreneurs online and just try to figure out like, what is it that I have to focus on? And what I ended up focusing on is traffic and traffic to make my own. What I kind of learned in the early days pretty much was that, hey, there's people everywhere, right? There's people on the internet everywhere you go. But like, sure, you, there's no way that you can like 
make a sale or do anything with that traffic unless it's traffic that you own. And so I began to find, figure out ways to kind of hook people with what I, what offer I have, which is like my knowledge on crowdfunding. And then I began to go and talk to people at these places where they're already congregating and bring them into my own like ecosystem pretty much and get them to subscribe to my email list. So that was like the big strategy for it, you know, for particularly in crowdfunding, there's very specific places. For example, there's a Kickstarter forum, there's crowdfunding forum, there's various Quora threads and spaces, for example, that people are talking in already just specific to crowdfunding. That's where I went to just talk about crowdfunding, answer people's questions um, and just provide that value upfront. So they're interested in me and they came to my particular like platform, which is my site and kind of subscribed for a handbook that I created. And that handbook is about 80 pages long. And it's just like jam packed with literally everything I know about how to get your product launched on crowdfunding. And it was just, just literally everything I know extracted into words. <laughs> it took like a few weeks to write and I'm still updating it um, as we go. I just made a version six actually uh, earlier this week of the handbook, but it's, that's what I use to kind of grab the people who are the traffic of people interested in crowdfunding and kind of brought them into my ecosystem. I mean, it sounds like it just takes a lot of time going through groups and sort of gaining people's trust and showing your mm -hmm. value. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely time intensive for sure. Like I yep. remember days where I was working like, you know, 16 hour days and I'm like out there literally just like answering questions. Like, Hey, people are asking, what should I put for a crowdfunding video? And I'm like answering them step by step by step by step. Like, Hey, what is, how, how does this structure for a campaign page? Like, how does that look? And I'm like answering them step by step by step. Like, Hey, you should change this. You change that. You know? So I, it was hours of work, but after a while, months down the line, <laughs> I figured out ways to kind of like centralize the knowledge so that mm -hmm. I'm able to kind of pick and choose the most frequently asked questions actually to, to help at, like, get those answers to people quicker. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of uh, providing value, I, I, in our research, I noticed you have a, you have a lot of blogs on, on Quora. Um, you have obviously your, your blog through your site. Like, was there a particular reason why you chose blogging and not, you know, podcasting or, or like a mm -hmm. YouTube channel, for example? Yeah, just for myself personally, I, you know, I, I mentioned before, I love reading. And from that, I have a love for writing too. Ever since I was in like, I think middle school, I was always a writer. I, whenever there was like a paper to write, everyone like groaned, but I was like, yes, another paper to write. I was like that person um, yeah. in school. I like, would, I would have hated you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like for... For undergrad like I had to write like a huge thesis right I was like yes let's do this you know I was reading all these books I actually um, had a degree in East Asian studies and then ch studied Chinese literature and so I was reading and just writing a whole bunch of stuff and I loved it and that kind of translates well to, to blogging now I'm kind of experimenting with like having a YouTube channel now and like and all that but like I found that writing at the end of the day, I love waking up and just writing. Um, my like morning routine pretty much is I wake up at like 6.45. I go on a walk with my dog around the neighborhood. I, I, you know, I come back, have a cup of coffee. And then at eight o'clock, I 
write and I write until noon. Just keep writing, just write everything and anything. Nice. So I asked about your, um, the struggles that you had initially, what is your proudest entrepreneurial moment to date? My proudest entrepreneurial moment to date, I think it's okay. Like it's pretty new to me, but I think having a team, like, yes, I'm super proud of all the entrepreneurs that I help and all the projects that I've, I've kind of helped launch. Right. Like last year, um, I was working with someone who wanted to launch a cool new like graphene jacket. I'm like, that's awesome. It's stronger than anything that's out there right now. It's going to be, graphene's going to be used to make like bulletproof vests, right? But now they've figured out how to make it into jackets. You know, and I'm super happy and proud of what they've done. Um, there's like online supermarkets of health. So like there's a lot of cool projects. I'm super proud of that. But personally, as like an entrepreneur working in, in my own business too and on my own business, I'm kind of, really proud of starting to this process of building a team. I was that solopreneur for a long time, probably a little too long. And then, you know, late last year I started actually building a team. And so now there's like four or five different people who like support me in the work that I do and just help me get knowledge out to entrepreneurs in a more like efficient and fast way. And it's just, it's a win-win for everyone. It's always nice when when you start working uh, with, with the team. I also I also remember that moment for me. Like I think our first employees were, I had interns. Uh, I got lucky because I was teaching English, and then some of my my students were studying business management and were like, "Hey, you know, I, I know that you started a company. Can I come be an intern?" I was like, "Yeah, why, why not?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're um, like, "Yes, of course." <laughs> yeah, but uh, at the same time, I think uh, what's interesting is. I didn't, I didn't necessarily work in corporate or anything like that, but I had a lot of jobs in college. Go transition, and then of course I taught English for like almost a year. So transitioning from, you know, being a solo entrepreneur and only thinking, and also uh, having the 95, only thinking about your work to having to think about how to assign work to other people and make sure that other people are, you know, proficient in what they're doing and things like that. That was an interesting transition for me as well. Yeah, I think that people don't talk about it as much. Like people talk about, yes, you you can hire a virtual assistant. Like as an entrepreneur, you can hire a virtual assistant to like offload the work and stuff. But it's you need to make sure that whoever you're hiring is like proficient at what you need them to do too. Like not all virtual assistants are not. Um, all employees have the same skills, and a lot of people in the entrepreneurship space, I think, like just say, hey, hire a VA, but they don't specify exactly like what kind of work and what kind of functions that you need and what do you need first? What do you need second? What do you need third? I think there needs to be a lot more, I would, I would say like literature about that particular aspect of, of like building and growing a team. Nice. Yeah, I, I told you, I agree with that. Is your team fully remote? Yeah, absolutely. Fully remote. So I am based in Seattle, Washington. I have um, a team member in Oregon. I have one in Austria and I have another team member actually in the Philippines too. Yeah, Philippines is extremely popular for that reason. Um, walk me through uh, the different things that you do with Crush Crowdfunding because obviously if you go through the site, you have courses, you have the coaching. So can you kind of just explain how that works? Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, there's a lot of things that happens with crush crowdfunding like for one people can just get a lot of free content a lot of people just need help 
figuring out the, 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 the ropes of crowdfunding, like who they have to onboard on their team, when they have to actually get a video done, like what kind of graphics do they need? So like that kind of content is there for anyone and everyone. I've written about 60 or 70 or 80, I'm not, I'm, I, I've lost count, but like lots of articles so far just in depth, just going through every single part of it. There's also a course, one main signature course, which is kind of the Crush Crowdfunding Bootcamp, which pretty much takes you in like a video course, takes you through the process of launching on crowdfunding step by step. So it starts off with like, hey, figuring out your audience, like what is your products, right? How do you actually talk about your product? There's features and there's benefits and you kind of split that out. How do you find your audience? How do you nurture your audience? How do you activate them when it comes to the campaign? How do you kind of keep people coming back to your campaign? How do you actually convert people to backers? So like that online course is, again, just a video course of just everything I know, guided guiding people step-by-step and step how to get launched in 90 days. And the other thing that I do here with Crouch Crowdfunding is also kind of like the coaching which is basically if you want me just on your team, I'm there. Like I just, I'm just one call away and we just go through and I'm part of your team to help you get launched. How do you usually charge for the services? Is it sort of like a customized thing where, you know, you charge an upfront fee plus a percentage of the actual campaign or do you have, mm-hmm. do you have uh, standards around that? Yeah, yeah. So the the programs, the uh, coaching program is three months long, and it's a monthly fee, and you just get unlimited access to me to be in your team for the three months going up to your launch. Nice. And then what, how, how did you come up with the 90-day launch strategy? Is that specific? Like, does the person have to be at a certain stage to be able to launch in 90 days, I guess is my question, because I'm thinking about, like, some of my clients who've taken a very long time to, to launch their <laughs> campaigns for, for various different reasons. Obviously, some of it is manufacturing based. Some of it is them you know, having their own personal lives and maybe jobs that they have to deal with. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a good question. Why, thir- why 90 days, right? Nine days is like three months. And so I found that there's everyone approaches crowdfunding in, in different ways, obviously. Um, there's people who honestly take two years to build up for their campaign. They do things like use organic strategies to, and pretty much zero spend in order to like gain a following and build that following into a big enough momentum for them to launch a campaign, right? There's people who plan for a crowdfunding launch in like one month, (laughs) which is a little haphazard for me to be completely honest. Um, But I found that three months is kind of the sweet spot because I, we, we kind of split the three month process into three different sections. One month is pretty much like getting your team the crash course about crowdfunding and the strategy and narrative and tactics and kind of KPIs around crowdfunding and building all the technical things that we need to do. The technical things being like have a landing page, have your email marketing, have all your social channels, have all these different tracking mechanisms all ready to go and test it just to make sure that when we do actually like do things like put spend behind getting attention for your project there's ways to track what's happening month two is testing it's all about testing testing everything we think we know um the positioning uh the 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 way we talk about the project the messaging the type of audience the pictures we have already of the project it's like just testing 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 and and starting to scale and month three is literally just 
scaling and planning for the next 30 days. And so it's broken down into those three months because I found that it's the, honestly, the, the shortest time I would recommend anyone to go into a crowdfunding pre-launch campaign before the actual campaign itself, because it gives you, t- your, you and your team time to learn, build your, find your audience and build your audience and activate your audience for the, the crowdfunding stage. People sometimes aren't ready. Uh, so if you don't have, if you don't have things like pro- a physical, like prototype for your product, you know, we're talking about hardware products like drones, or we're talking about like re- remotes or like smart water bottles or whatever, right? If you don't have a physical prototype, I would say wait <laughs> until you have that physical, like just like a prototype to, so that you can take pictures of it. You can use it in video. You can use it in marketing materials because you need all of that marketing material throughout your entire pre-launch process. So I would say that if you don't have anything that you can use, hold and touch to use the marketing materials, you should wait until you do before you get started in this like three month, like ramp up for launch. What do you think of some of the, the people that would say, well, like I could have like a 3d, you know, rendering put together, um, a, a photorealistic 3d rendering of the product put together. Yeah, like you could, like, it depends on what platform you're going to launch on, right? Like, you can definitely do that if you want to launch on Indiegogo, because they don't have that strict of kind of guidelines for products that are launching. It can be like a sketch on a, on a, you know, napkin, and they're going to say, sure, launch on, launch on Indiegogo. That's totally fine. But if you're looking to launch on Kickstarter, which has about double the traffic monthly, of Indiegogo and there's a little bit of a different audience. If you're looking to launch on Kickstarter, they actually like don't allow any photorealistic realistic rendering on their site for the launches and they actually go through a manual review process. And so it, it really depends, right? For example, if you're like, if you're a hardware entrepreneur, right? You, you work with like sourcing in, um, in China and things like that. A lot of our hardware entrepreneurs work with a lot of companies in China to manufacture and like produce goods and just like try to get their manufacturing production up. Right. If, if we're talking a hardware entrepreneur, definitely have the um, product like a prototype ready because one, not only is it more credible and people are able to like kind of believe in you more and like get that trust and credibility, but also on the back end too, um, when it, after the crowdfunding, uh, campaign ends you're kind of sure that you have the right you raise the right amount of money right sometimes if you're really early on in, in the just like photorealistic rendering stage you haven't accounted for all the budget that you actually have to account for in the manufacturing process in like the the fulfillment process and any of that so when you run a campaign you come out after the campaign and you're at the point where you're like producing all these prototypes you're like oh no right? Like we actually had to raise another $150,000 because we didn't plan for so-and-so mistake to happen or so-and-so to ha- thing to happen. And so that's why I always recommend hardware entrepreneurs in particular to actually have like a, a you know, prototype in hand before they launch. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Like um, even for us, well, a lot of times when people come to us and they are planning on launching a campaign, they come to us because they want to get their prototypes made before the campaign. So and another thing that I tell people is like, not only is it about understanding your costs, but the, one of the biggest mistakes, I think all these um, successful campaigns 
have is they end up, you know, they underestimate how long it takes to actually make a new product and all the issues that can come up in the manufacturing process. And then they end up, you know, shipping their goods, to, uh, shipping the final goods to the backers late, right? Because yeah. they, they just didn't pay attention to the manufacturing side of things and focus too much on selling and, and sort of the, you know, the sexy parts with the marketing aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When, when people come to me and they're, they tell me things like, hey, I haven't even looked at like how much it costs to like ship from the manufacturer to, you know, you, where you're at right now. I'm like, you actually have to look at that because that, that is a cost for you, right? That's a cost that you have to put into your campaign like budget and your, your campaign like numbers, right? There's all these costs that go into the actual making and getting the product from that area to the end user that if you don't even have that, like you're not ready. So speaking of costs, I mean, obviously you haven't gone through this a couple of times. Do you have a general budget that a person should have and focusing on the physical product space? So like hardware, not necessarily the manufacturing side of things, because obviously that's unpredictable, but you mm-hmm. know, from, uh, creating a landing page to ad spend to, you know, getting a, f- a professional photos and videographer and then all that stuff. Do you have a, like a rough idea of how much money somebody should have before approaching us? Yeah. So I work with entrepreneurs from like everywhere, like all over the world. I work with entrepreneurs that are based in like Tenerife in, in Spain I, and, and like in Taiwan in, in Thailand, actually um, in, in Israel and France. So, so there's, so cost is like hard to pin down just because it, it's so varied and the kind of like projects are so varied. But if we're talking about just the USA, right? When it comes to like website design uh, and like just a functional website, there's, I've worked with people who had, you know, successful hardware campaigns that like did them it themselves actually, which was surprising to me, but it can range from anywhere from like a thousand to like 10 K I've seen 10, 10, a thousand to 10 K for like just websites, landing pages and like websites in general for things like video. Video is a huge one, especially for hardware campaigns. And I've seen very, very budget hardware campaign videos that were like $5,000. And I've seen hardware um, videos that were $25,000 that involved multiple different locations for shoots, multiple different actors and actresses and multiple like wardrobe changes. So it really depends on what your idea and what you're ready to spend in a way in terms when it comes to video. In terms of like, let's see, for like advertising, be prepared to spend like 20% of what you want to raise just for advertising itself. Um, it's just pretty much like a return, expect a return on ad spend around like a, like a five X return on ad spend pretty much for just that part of your marketing budget. Because if you're a hardware campaign, you're, you're going big, right. And you're going to have to have money. Doesn't just create itself, right. You're going to have to spend money to make money. And really it's about a five X ROAS. So if you're dealing with these entrepreneurs in different countries, I'm sure obviously you have a team that can help them through, you know, uh, setting up their page or doing the videos and photos and stuff like that. So how does that work? I'm sure there's some people who say, I can figure it out myself. 
do other people like send you their prototypes or you know like uh, how if i'm if i'm launching my product i'm like i don't want to i don't want to find a videographer i don't want to find a photographer like i don't know how to set up a landing page like you know how how do you help with that that's a good question so i i'm like a firm believer that i should stay in kind of my own lane right like if someone is an expert at something i i like defer to them for their expertise so I don't have a, like, for example, a background in video creation. So I always refer whoever, you know, talks to me, whoever works with me to experts. I don't, I don't have, like, I'm not a, I wouldn't consider myself a full agency, right? So I don't have people who do video under my umbrella or anything like that. But I, ha- I, I know people in the industry um, all along the West Coast, all, all along the East Coast who does video, especially for crowdfunding. And if uh, someone who want, who's working with me is like, hey, not Lynn, like, I don't have someone who does video locally that I trust. Like, can you help me find someone? I'm like, of course I'm going to help you find someone. I connect you to people who are within the budget that they tell me that they have and, you know, let them take the conversation from there. That makes sense. So, um, Nalan, my audience is very familiar with InterChina. It's a big part of the reason why I moved to China in the first place at the time the main the main part of it is just there it's an entrep- private entrepreneurship group sort of like a mastermind where everybody shares information about doing business in china and they had some you know sort of PD, uh, pdfs that they put together that, that they call blueprints on manufacturing sourcing and crowdfunding in recent times they focused a little bit more in, on product launch um and they have like a, a sort of course that they do around that and i mean the basic tenants are just like sort of proving that you have an actual core audience for your product, which would be building that building an audience. Some of the stuff that you already mentioned earlier in the podcast and, and going to where your audience lives and building an email list and, and, and sort of the, you know, the landing page and such. And then they sometimes, which I don't necessarily agree with. And, and a lot of times when um, people come to me from, from them, once they've done the course, they sometimes tell people that they could launch without the without the physical prototype and use a photorealistic 3D rendering. And then a lot of it is as well around Facebook ads and I'm trying to think if there's any specific things that we didn't actually talk about. Mm, I think there's a lot of similarities, but I mean, I think with them, they push a lot more towards Facebook advertising and spending a lot more money on that rather than the prototype aspect of it so uh, i just wanted to get your thoughts on like in terms of ad spend like do you think there are different ways that people can do it besides facebook ads or you know do you, are you sort of in the same space in the same zone and do you have any advice about you know how people should approach the, the ad spend when it comes to i think when it comes to like getting your product ready for launch right the ad spend like what does it mean what does it represent ad spend is pretty much just a way to get attention for your product, right? It's a way to get attention for this idea that you have. And that's pretty much all marketing is. If you want to kind of like look at it in a very like strategic way, marketing is attention. And to get attention, you can either pay for it or you can either not pay for it. So there's different like tactics in each one. If you pay for it, of course, it's going to get be very much, very much faster that you get attention and you get those people, those eyeballs, those traffic, those emails. It's going to be much faster 
right? But if you don't pay for it, it's going to be slower, but it's, you know, you're still going to get the same results, but it's just a longer period of time, right? When you're approaching um, any project, you know, I, I kind of have this like project management um, mindset when I talk about things because it's like, yeah, the scope is you want to launch this product, but what's the budget? What's the time? If you want to launch this product in like three months, yeah, you're probably going to be spending some money towards advertising because you're, because that is marketing and that's getting attention in the fastest way possible. But if you want the scope is launching the product, but you have a year or two years to do it, like you might not have to spend advertising money or you might spend much less than anyone else who's launching it in a shorter period of time because you have time to get attention for your product or your idea in like more organic matters. So when it comes to advertising, yes, like hardware campaigns do advertising because they want to speed up the lead generation process. They want to speed up that process of getting traffic to their page and getting people to know their idea, know their brand, know their product, and just, you know, subscribe to their email list so that they're notified for their launch and people come back to their launch, right? So when we're talking hardware products, definitely do advertising for sure. And Yes, uh, Facebook and Instagram are still the as of the recording of this podcast, right? Facebook and Instagram are still the best platforms for you know discovery of new brands, discovery of new products, discovery of new ideas, and it's still one of the most cost-effective platforms for people to do that. Do you help people or encourage people to do um, influencer marketing as well? I have like a love-hate relationship with influencers. Like in, in my past life, I've also done the whole like influencer management thing uh, and, mm. and, and like been the person to like source thousands of influencers, like send out personalized emails to different influencers and, you know, have some people respond, have the vast majority not respond and like try to measure KPIs. So like I've done that whole thing. And I, I still have a love-hate relationship because when it works, it works. <laughs> All right. Uh, when, when I was at a hardware startup, uh, we were working with an influencer, uh, this guy on YouTube who has millions of subscribers. And he just did like one unboxing review of this one product that we had. And we sold 10,000 units just from that one influencer right? It was like insane how many units we moved just from one video of this one guy talking about this one product, right? So like when it works, it works. But the thing with influencers is that it's kind of difficult because there's no real way to like measure quote unquote success in a way. Yeah, there's no centralized like system of like how much people get paid. There's no, a lot of influencers don't have like a manager or something that manages their time for them. So when you're looking at influencers and when you're looking at hardware campaigns, I would like much rather spend money where you can control the, the kind of like levers of spend and return, which is typically the advertising because you can, you know, tune up ads that are working and tune down ads that aren't working and try new audiences, try new creatives, and you can actually control those different levers yourself. Yes, it's great if an influencer like does pick you up, but it's kind of a numbers game and it's, it can be like 
exceedingly expensive without a return because it's hard to track. And like, there's all these different things that go into influencer marketing that, you know, with budget and with working with entrepreneurs who like, you know, are conscious about where their money is going and and what kind of return that brings. Advertising is always kind of a a better bet. That makes sense. Speaking of, you know, the, the people that you worked with, can you share some of your client success stories? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was just talking about a guy who actually lives in Hong Kong. Um, and he wanted to launch like a, a jacket, which was pretty cool. A jacket with that, uh, is made from graphene and like, it's super like strong can like withstand years and years and years of like, just crazy outdoor pretty much like abuse when you're like hiking when you're like doing outdoorsy stuff and that was a like a really cool project that i worked on and everyone was like really passionate about the idea more recently too i worked with like a an entrepreneur which is like it's a husband and wife team from like um, i believe it was colorado and they wanted to they had this issue of like hey like my kids just could not like understand the sleep trainer clocks that were just available on the market right now. They're like, Hey, I want to like create a new one because kids can't read time and all these like sleep training clocks, just like put a freak, put freaking numbers on it. And my kids still can't read time. So how does this help? And so they like just invented something cool and new that helps kids like teach kids what time it is and that it's time to like stay in bed or go to bed and things like that. There's also like a, uh, another entrepreneur who was in the Bay Area who was like, hey, like the current uh, like ecosystem of how we get food and how we shop for food and how producers are paid, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not fair. It's not right. It's the producers are paid, you know, pennies on the dollar of what they're actually producing right now. So they wanted to like kind of flip the whole industry upside down. And so they were like, hey, we're going to come to Kickstarter and launch a product and these, you know, they ended up raising like $460,000 just to, to launch a new idea of a supermarket. So like, there's all these cool different ideas that, <laughs> that come along. Um, when it comes to like hardware, I'm thinking about hardware. Uh, I've worked on a pretty cool, like, uh, what do you call it? Like an indoor air sensor. Uh, this guy's based in Singapore and they launched like an indoor air sensor that detects everything from like CO2, PM2.5, like carbon monoxide, like a lot of things that you want to track for air quality within your house, within like big office buildings and things like that. And they were like, this is really important because like air quality is getting worse and worse and worse. And we need to like get this idea out to people. And they came to crowdfunding, like launched and got funded and like know 20 minutes or something and now they're still they're still around it's been like a few years now they're still around they're working with like the government of like new zealand they're working with uh governments of the netherlands just to like roll out their products to to different buildings different um grocery stores things like that so there's there's a lot of cool things that i I get to work with that i never would have thought to just come across in just real life (laughs) I think you had a, you also had like a really big one with the, I think it's a protective iPhone, um, iPhone case. Oh yeah. 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 Limitless. 
Yeah, mouse. Uh, actually, mouse. <laughs> I actually still have their case on my phone. <laughs> yeah, these guys were were who like they came and they were just like, hey, we're these we're on we're four like friends who are entrepreneurs and we like really want to like do something in the entrepreneur space. And they were working with another idea before this phone case, which is like a little thing that sticks on the back of your phone that like, like wraps your uh, earbud cords around it. So you can like take your earbuds with you wherever you go, wherever your phone is Um, that did do so well, but then they found out this like super protective material. And they're like, this is going to protect phones. Like how are we going to, how are we going to like do this? And then, we worked to create a really, honestly, like really viral campaign to where we just showcase their fun personality and the product uh, just kind of took off. It's a very protective phone case and you can take it up on like a 40 foot crane, drop your, like, you know, have this phone in the case, drop it and you come down, pick it up and your phone is still completely okay. And it's That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's incredible. <laughs> nice. And um they raised two point four million dollars. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, speaking of that, I think one of the interesting things about these campaigns, I mean I'm not sure in a situation like that when they raise so much money, is the the difference between the amount of money that people raise in campaigns now versus, you know, five six seven eight years ago like from mm-hmm. from my business partner's perspective like six figure campaigns back in those days at least for the physical product space was not that difficult to attain without spending that much money whereas mm-hmm. now you know if you're gonna get six figures or anything like that unless you get lucky and you go viral you're spending quite a bit of money to achieve that six figure uh, goal do you have any insight around that like the difference between launching a crowdfunding campaign five, six, seven years ago when it wasn't as, when it wasn't as uh, saturated versus now? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Like I think the biggest change I've seen in crowdfunding, which I've mentioned towards the beginning of this podcast is pretty much like how people like kind of know crowdfunding nowadays. People are, it's, it's kind of permeated into like normal lingo and culture, at least in, in the States now that I've seen, um, after moving around different places and stuff in terms of like how that translates to campaigns and like hardware campaigns and like getting a good raise out of your particular campaign. I think it also means that people are more jaded and they also understand and have seen what it means and what it's like for campaigns to not deliver, not fulfill their promises and not be able to just pretty much fulfill the product that, they've like paid for pretty much. And so that is definitely more prevalent now in a way, because, you know, we've had incidents like the coolest cooler where they've raised millions and millions of dollars and tens of thousands of people don't have their coolers. Right. So that has like kind of also permeated pop culture. So in order to like kind of combat that, I think entrepreneurs and like hardware entrepreneurs in particular have to really focus on how to build that credibility and how to build that trust way before they launch their crowdfunding campaign. Like it's not enough anymore to just put your picture and a picture of your team and a picture of like behind the scenes of your factory, like in 
a crowdfunding campaign in an update or on the crowdfunding campaign page and say, hey, we're going to deliver. Like, it's not enough to do that anymore. It used to be enough, like five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, whatever, um, to just have that and say, hey, we're going to do it, right? And just like, show, say, we're, we're, we're a competent team. We're going to be able to do it. But now it's like building that credibility and that trust so much further ahead and making sure that your audience knows that throughout the whole entire like pre-launch process so that when you actually do come into the launch process, it's not much difficult of like a proposition and to convert them into a backer and also encourage them to share, right? Because that's kind of the, the next step in crowdfunding. It's not it, like the cost per acquisition, cost per lead, uh, cost per clicks, like they haven't drastically increased that much, right? But like, why is it harder to get people to buy? Why is it harder to get people to actually contribute and support an idea? It's because they've seen the failures. And so in order to combat that, you have to instill that trust. You have to be able to show what it is that you've done to prepare, like making uh, sure that you're actually sharing your entire like journey. Some people go as far as like telling people exactly these are kind of our numbers for manufacturing, right? Like these are the numbers that we're working with. And these are, this is the planning that we're doing, like going further and being like more at one with your audience and understanding where their fears are, where they're coming from earlier on to the project is going to like really make a break that, that launch process, that launch period, just because at the end of the day, you know, who's buying these products, who's giving you the money that they, you know, their disposable income, it's, it's people, right? At the end of the day, it's people. And you have to get people to trust you to give you money and make your idea a reality. So even though the market is a little bit more saturated than it was before, it's not necessarily more expensive in terms of ad spend. It's more about, building the trust with the audience yeah because yeah it's 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 saturated in the way that like look there's another pico projector coming onto the market right or like yeah. hey there's another like smart um indoor planter coming to the market like there's a lot of these ideas coming out it's it's kind of everywhere right it's like but how do you make sure that you stand out from the crowd and how do you make sure that you are the, the credible one out of everyone else and that's not your campaign it's everything before your campaign. It's everything you do in the pre-launch to make that person like convert into a backer and then freaking advocate for you. Freaking share like crazy during your campaign. Freaking tell their friends, their family, their like, you know, the person they go hiking with on the weekends about your project. Like it's not what happens during the campaign. People like, like to think that, Hey, if I launch, like people will just flops in my campaign and I'll raise millions of dollars. But it's not just that it's like understanding the people behind the money that's contributing to your campaign and making sure that you're addressing their fears. And yes, it's like fluffy to talk about. It's like mushy and fluffy to talk about, but at the end of the day, like that's what crowdfunding is. It's dollars from people. So you kind of mentioned why a little bit earlier, but um, I, I want to know from your perspective, what are some things that people that want to launch a crowdfunding campaign or people that just are following crowdfunding campaigns, what are some things that they don't know about, about crowdfunding? For example, a lot of my clients that I've worked with, like they are, you know, they get 150% funded but they actually lost money 
on the on the campaign and or they weren't profitable at all and obviously they can still sort of move forward with their with their business but i think a lot of people just assume you know if you get a hundred percent of your your of what you're asking for it like a lot of times they think that oh this person is like super successful now but you know the reality is sometimes things are more expensive than they initially anticipated and, and, and things like that that's a really good question. I, I, a lot of entrepreneurs think crowdfunding is like the end all be all of everything that they do, right? Like, Hey, I'm working towards this campaign. If I get a hundred percent funded, like my business is, is a success. And like, that's definitely not like the right way to approach it. Um, you mentioned like someone you've worked with before or that, you know, after they finish a crowdfunding campaign, they like are in the red. And I think that's a lot of the issues that entrepreneurs going into crowdfunding actually face and it's not really talked about. I think that crowdfunding again is a launch strategy for a product, but then it's there's more that you have to do in order to actually monetize that product and actually grow a company. And those are two very different things. Crowdfunding as a launch platform. I like to say that if you come out like at break even, that's great. Like a lot of people you know, don't break even and breaking even, I think is honestly one of the best scenarios. I don't think anyone should come to crowdfunding thinking that they're going to make millions of dollars, right? Because there's no way your margins with, with all the production you have to do, all the shipping, all the marketing, all, you know, everything that you have to do with the discount with crowdfunding too, there's no way you're going to make a profit coming to crowdfunding. Yeah. And so with crowdfunding, like aim to, maximize the number of users and being able to deliver to that users at a break-even point. And then the strategy is actually to activate your user base that you get from crowdfunding to grow your company by upselling different products, uh, cross-selling similar new ideas that you have within your own like audience group, because if they like your first product, they're probably going to like your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth product too, right? And so I think that when, you, when you're looking at it in like a big picture of like crowdfunding and like the trajectory of your company and the trajectory of your business, try to break even with maximum number of people, maximum number of backers so that you are able to start your business with an audience that you can quickly monetize and kind of grow do you have a preference in terms of the platform that you use versus like indiegogo versus kickstarter <laughs> this one this was a tough one though because like indiegogo they they're all they're very different they have a different crowd right for hardware entrepreneurs if you want to launch anything that's tech and hardware like indiegogo is going to be a lot better for you i would say just because there's pixel tracking on the platform itself and you're able to understand where those dollars are going. With Kickstarters, they don't allow pixel tracking for advertising. So it's much more difficult to control your like input and output pretty much when you're scaling to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right? If you want a million dollar campaign, that's, that's, that's a lot of money going in for, you know, advertising and if you can't control that you can't see exactly where it's going it's going to be really hard to to like scale up and so for hardware entrepreneurs i would actually recommend indiegogo um, just because the uh, kind of like transparency that you can have as an entrepreneur to scale your campaign to six figures to even seven figures going into launches for like 
the the traffic though kickstarter typically is kind of more well known around the world it's more kind of in a way well respected in certain parts of the world in uh, Euro- european countries actually for my like european clients to kickstarter is just pretty much a synonym for crowdfunding they don't even say crowdfunding they just say kickstarter and so like it depends on perception too some people they just care about the perception of what their campaign is launched on and so they like skew towards kickstarter however as a hardware entrepreneur you need to know where your, what your numbers are and i would definitely 100% any any day just recommend indiegogo yeah that seems to be the case like um you know a lot of my a lot of my clients come from indiegogo as well yeah and and they've actually built up indiegogo has built up a very like extensive knowledge base and kind of extensive partnerships with different people in the industry to help hardware entrepreneurs in particular they built up like um different core, like uh learning like webinars just for hardware entrepreneurs they built out i believe they have like a center uh in shenzhen or something like that just to help hardware entrepreneurs i'm not exactly sure where it is to help hardware entrepreneurs just launch on crowdfunding they have like different courses they go through they have campaign managers that that help you specifically with your particular campaign and so they've just built out very extensive resources for hardware entrepreneurs where do you see the crowdfunding space going you know, where do you see it trending in the next couple of years especially i guess around with the whole covid situation i guess that changes a lot of things so with with covid there yeah there was a decrease in the number of plat like projects launching there was actually like a, i think kickstarter talked about like a 35% drop in campaigns launching on their platform or something during covid but honestly with every single like agency that i talk to which is quite a few in in even just in the us alone every and actually around the world too and like every like connection and contact that have in kickstarter and indiegogo everyone says that people are still backing so like even with covid it's mostly campaigners who are scared to launch but backers are are still interested in contributing funds because typically crowdfunding already draws in a crowd like an audience that has more of a disposable income than than average and so they it seems like they are much less affected by kind of the economic situation that covid has brought upon us in terms of like where crowdfunding is going in the long run i don't think that it's going anywhere i think there's it's going to evolve and continuously evolve with things like um just kind of like with blockchain tech coming in and things like that i think it's going to evolve the way that we experience crowdfunding but the idea of crowdfunding is is especially for products especially for like new cool ideas i think it's always going to be there people are always going to be able to contribute funds to a collective pool to help someone launch it might not be kickstarter it might not be indiegogo it might be some other third party that like pops up on a middle of nowhere with some cool new way to to ensure that your money as a backer is like in safeguard or like in in safekeeping or something like that but the idea of crowdfunding i i don't think it's going anywhere yeah and and with with the covid situation i feel like even though there's this decrease in in people wanting to launch i think there'll be an increase because a lot of a lot of people will be 
trying to pursue entrepreneurship because you know they'll lose their jobs, right? I think it, what happened with, in the 2008 financial crisis is that there was a resurgence in entrepreneurship because people just didn't really have a choice they had to figure out how to make money. And now, if the new entrepreneurs coming to into that space will be looking to do things online, so I, I do think they'll it'll probably have a resurgence at some at some stage. Yeah, I think this is one of the best times to be an entrepreneur. Like, it's fascinating to me that like even just a short period of time, for example, like the practice and the uh, the time we spend online has shifted like averages for different social media like channels for example like um people used to surf social media like during the mornings during the commute and at in the evening during commute but now like just in the past two months like all social surfing has been like in the middle of the day right so just like condensed period of time can cause so much change and so much disruption and i'm super excited for entrepreneurship in this time just because just cool things happen when there are obstacles, when people have to think outside of the box, when people have to think in a different way than they have always thought before. And so I, I'm very excited for what comes from this time of duress. Okay, shifting into the closing questions. Um, so I asked you, where do you think crowdfunding is going? What about yourself? What do you see your business in three to five years? Yeah, I see myself like honestly just continuing to help people. I'm trying to create as much content that is helpful to people as possible. Like um, most recently, again, I'm, I'm working a lot with like people in the board game space too, along with like uh, hardware entrepreneurs. And a lot of people are, are wanting things like, hey, like how do I design uh, crowdfunding page what do i have to do what tools do i have to use for this that's, i'm like just that's yeah. meeple meeplemarketing.com yes that is that one meeplemarketing.com and i'm just like hey sure let's let's create that i'm going to create this new thing that just helps you like design your kickstarter page right um in terms of like entrepreneurs like in the hardware space and stuff some people like i mentioned before like just want to create like have a go at creating their own landing page and so actually this month i put together what i call like a crowdfunding starter kit that helps people figure out like help people go through step by step how to put up a landing page for your own project for your own idea and also how to set up your own like email marketing how to like send automation emails so i'm just figuring out exactly like what entrepreneurs need to succeed in this like world where they want to like launch their cool idea. And I just continue to create it. So like three to five years from now, I still see myself just here, like helping people launch cool ideas because I think that the world is, you know, we have seven point something billion people in the world and everyone has a path and everyone has a story and everyone has a cool solution or a cool idea for something that's going to help you know, kind of revolutionize the way we think about the world, we approach the world, we approach life. And it's, they're just waiting to get their idea out there. And people are just waiting to hear about their idea. And I just love being there to help them launch and love being there to like, get over their own fears even, and get that confidence to launch. What is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results? The smallest thing I've done. I think, I think it's like reaching out to people 
like meeting people in my own industry. I think it's like kind of a mindset shift too. A lot of people operate in like a, hey, we're all competitors because we're all in the crowdfunding space and we're going to like, you know, if you get a client, I don't get a client, but you know, there's, I, you know, I read a lot and with the mindset shift that, you know, from competitive to being like kind of like abundance mindset, I just started like literally just reaching out to everybody in the crowdfunding space and just like getting on calls with them, seeing like what they're up to, what they're doing, how, you know, how I could like help them and just like figure out what we're all doing. Right. Cause at the end of the day, we're all trying to help people um, launch ideas and just from sending out emails, reaching out to people, talking to people, like, firstly, I'm like way more fulfilled in what I do because everyone is now a friend rather than like, like a, a competitor. And also like, we're just sending each other leads like, Hey, like, the this person... close, huh? yeah, <laughs> no, it's like, like, Hey, like this person fits better with what you guys do. Like, I'm going to send them your way. Like, it's okay. Um, we, we all read uh, 48 laws of power. <laughs> 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 oh gosh, that book. Um, I have a, a friend in, in the UK who like does crowdfunding too, but she does crowdfunding for like social entrepreneurial um, like projects. And I'm like, hey, if someone reaches out to me, I just send them directly to her. I'm like, hey, go talk to Jess. Like she's the one for you. <laughs> um, so it's, it's kind of bit, like, it's simple. Just like write an email to someone and just like talk, get on the phone and talk, but it's just like opened like a ton of new doors. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I had, you know, I had uh, a, I, in terms of my personal life and like my friends and stuff like that, I've always had an abundance mindset when it comes to everything that we do. I try not, we try not to be competitive. I mean, there's a healthy amount of competition, but making sure that, you know, it doesn't stop you from sharing information, right? And that's why I also have a podcast and a YouTube channel. But I, I do remember thinking of other, you know, import-export businesses, trading companies a certain way, especially the ones that were targeting the same sort of client base. And then I went to, an, I went to like an entrepreneur a meetup in Shenzhen, the cross-border summit. And uh, I ended up hanging out with two or three of my competitors who were around the same age as me. And we were all going after, you know, similar, similar clients. And, one of the things I, I, I realized was, you know, I built them up as like my enemies. <laughs> and then when I met them, I was like, oh, I, I really like these guys. Like, you know, we just, we just sat down and, you know, chopped it up and shared a lot of information. And then one of the things we all realized is like, look, like there's so much, um, there's, 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 it's such a big pie, you know, like the, this business um, that even if you had, five percent of it it would be almost impossible to manage so like we should probably just try to help each other and 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 you know share information and help all of us you know uh level up so i definitely agree with that that mentality yeah yeah that's, that's awesome that you guys were able to get together and just like share in in yeah. real life and stuff yeah what are three books podcasts or blogs that you'd recommend people to check out if they wanted to understand you better? Ooh, okay. Um, three books, podcasts, or like blogs, I would say um, read the book launch by uh, Jeff Walker. He is like 
and the king of all things, figuring out how to launch, figuring out how to like build your audience, how to like activate them, how to just make sure that your crowd wants to get what you're offering. And that's the basis of a lot of what crowdfunding work is. And every agency, every consultant, everyone kind of like preaches what this guy teaches. So that's launch by Paul Walker. Also, honestly, it might be cliche as an entrepreneur, but like the three books that like Russell Brunson writes, like um, .com secrets, expert secrets, and like traffic secrets, it's really just how to market yourself in, in, so that you can better market your product and your idea, which I think is like a brilliant way of like looking at the world and looking at how to just talk about your ideas. And the last thing I would say would be, you know, I, I, I could plug my blog here, but <laughs> um, I actually really like reading um, Pat Flynn's stuff from Smart Passive Income because he, you know, just tests all these cool different ideas and he you know tells you straight up this works this doesn't work this works this doesn't work this works this doesn't work and why and he gives you numbers and lays it all out there and also teaches you how to just launch ideas and if you are someone who are you know the listeners like someone who wants to like launch a product wants to market a product wants to just launch on crowdfunding these are the three like key things to, to really know. Nice. Um, was there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I think we touched uh, about touched on like pretty much everything. Right. Like if they want to find me, just, you know, go to crush crowdfunding.com and they can read all about crowdfunding. <laughs> right now. Then it's been great having you on. Uh, I think we're going on almost two hours. Well, no, no, an hour and a half. Which is, which is which is good like i i love doing these long form podcasts it's been a minute since i did one so this is good thank you for having me rico no worries um so like you said if people want to reach out to you just go to crush crowdfunding.com right yep absolutely or they can and just email me directly at dalin at crush crowdfunding.com too all right awesome and if you guys want to reach out to us it's podcast at sourcewayninja.com all of the resources that Nalan mentioned in the show can be found at sourcefindasia.com slash meet in China and uh, obviously check out the Source Asia YouTube channel and I will see you guys next week oh 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 so CG but a nick stay real though I'm fly mail I'm running shit three point field goal rappers used to laugh like I tripped and fell cause I don't stun a gold cross like I Christian Bale yeah they staring at me jealous cause I do shows bigger but your looks don't help like an old gold digger uncool but lyrically I'm a stone cold killer so it's 400 blows to these true foe niggas yeah now that's the line of the century niggas missed it too busy they lying about penitentiary man you ain't been there nigga you been scared and I'm still living single like Sinclair loving white dudes who call me white and then try to hate when I was